0: You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit
1: ProvidenceTX.org. Once again, we're in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you share in a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to those things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. We, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Merry Christmas. We are one week away. It's official. So if you're a Scrooge that waits really long before you celebrate Christmas, you now can start, okay? We can commence. Um, Great, so we are in our Advent series uh, called True and Better, and we've been walking through a few characters in the scriptures um, that, you know, are clear reflections of Jesus. And so we kind of maybe word it this way, that uh, these characters that we are looking at in the Old Testament were shadows of what was to come, and Jesus is the substance, okay? He is the fulfillment, the real thing that was coming, right? We know that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world, and so now, you know, these guys that come, and we're going to talk about Moses today, and we've talked about Abraham, we talked about Adam, we're going to be talking about David. Uh, Jesus was always to be the true promise, the one that would come, the one that would be the rescuer, the true king, the true redeemer, all of these things, and what we see in the Old Testament, as God kind of reveals Himself throughout history, is that these men did mighty works in the Old Testament. They served God in very uh, great ways, though they had sin, uh, but they weren't perfect. They weren't a perfect fulfillment of what was to come, right? And we even see this in how the gospel and how it works. And so, what we're doing this Advent season is looking at Jesus, who came in the flesh, this is what we celebrate, right? An Advent, we're celebrating that Christ has come in the flesh. He lived the perfect life for us. He died the death that we deserved, and now uh, he is reigning in heaven. He has redeemed us, and one day we will be with him in the kingdom. He's coming back again for us, and we long for that moment, right? It says that Jesus is coming back for those who are eagerly awaiting his coming, and that's what we're doing, and so we're celebrating that. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's why it's such a great season for us. Um, So what I would like to do is we're going to hop into, talk a little bit about Moses And I'm excited to do that out of Hebrews 3, as we just read. But let's pray together, and then we'll get into it. Father, we thank you so much for the word that's in front of us. God, we enjoy your word. It instructs us. It teaches us. It helps us to see you for who you are. It keeps us grounded in our faith. It keeps our confidence of our hope of all of our lives, it's an amazing thing. And so I pray right now, God, as we get into the Word, you'd help our hearts. We are uh, often distracted. We are often cold when it comes to your Scriptures, and we don't want to be that this morning. As we are celebrating Christmas, as we're rejoicing together that you came for us, Lord, and that you're coming again. I pray that the Scriptures would bring life and joy and peace. Not the, not the kind that the presents this time of year offer or anything else, Lord, but true and lasting and deep peace and joy this morning. Would you help us, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we spent all of of this year up until this Advent sermon series going through the book of Exodus. And so uh, the word I'm going to give this morning about Moses has been given probably at least seven times over uh, the past year. We've tied a lot into the character of Moses and how he uh, resembles and represents, right, and is a shadow of Christ himself. And so we'll be continuing uh, to do that. But I, I got a lot of groundwork that's already been laid, which is great for me. It makes it a lot easier. But I'm excited to hop into it. So let's talk a little bit about Hebrews. Um, Hebrews uh, is a book. We don't know who the author is. There's lots of arguments. Could be Paul, could be someone else. Uh, There's arguments on both sides uh, of the fence there. But the Writer of Hebrews had a few things that he was trying to accomplish as he wrote to uh, the believers. He wrote to believers, could have been in Rome, Italy, somewhere else. uh, But nonetheless, they seem to be, by all accounts, they were Jewish believers. They were converted from Judaism into Christianity. And he's going to make some arguments here. And there's really kind of two main things I think that he's doing. One is that he's trying to encourage a suffering group of Christians... They were experiencing some sort of persecution and suffering together. And he was trying to encourage them not to revert back to putting their hope into the former ways of their religion or the old covenant, which was a shadow, right? It it was a piece of it in the covenant of grace. But we see in the new covenant of Jesus Christ, that continuation of the covenant grace that uh, Christ is the substance. So he was encouraging them. Don't just rest and put your hope in the shadow, but consider Jesus. Look to Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all of these things. He is the ultimate place where our hope is at. And so he's encouraging them to continue to look and look and look there. And the other thing he's doing, and it's in the same vein, is he's trying to show us that Jesus is superior to all other things, whether that be the old religion or whatever else it may be, that that Christ is supreme. He is the end-all, be-all. He is God himself. He is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. They have their yes and amen in him. And so, just to recap a few of the chapters. In chapter 1, we see that Jesus is supreme over all things because he is God, right? He's the exact imprint of his nature, is what chapter 1 says. And then continuing, we see that he's even superior to the prophets. In chapters 2, we see that Jesus is superior to the angels. In chapter 3... No surprise, we're going to read it. Jesus is superior to Moses. Chapter 4, he's superior to Joshua and how he gives his rest to his people. Chapter 5, he's superior to Aaron as our sympathetic high priest, and so on and so on. Further in Hebrews, we see that Christ is the mediator of a better covenant, that he is the better and perfect sacrifice for sins who suffered outside the camp. We see that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith, and he is the one that we look to for all hope in life and godliness, not only in this life, but in the life to come, as all of the saints did, we see throughout Hebrews 11 into Hebrews 12, and so on. This book is all about the supremacy of Christ. He's superior. He is the real deal. He is who we worship. He is what we need. He is our hope. He is our peace. He is our joy. He is the answer to all of our problems and on and on and on. This is what he's trying to argue. So we got to keep that in mind as we get into here and focus on these, these six verses in chapter 3. He is trying to show us that Jesus is the better way. Don't revert back to old things that we used to trust in, whether that be religion or idols, but look to Jesus. So let's start. We're just going to kind of go line by line here. Let's start in verse 1. Let's read it together. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. And so he starts with a therefore, okay, and this is important, right? It's that famous line, if you see a therefore, you got to ask, what is it there for, right? There's a reason he puts it. This is why um, I think it's important as often as we can when we're studying the scriptures that we have a translation that puts these words in there and doesn't skip over them because they connect in some really cool ways. So Why is he saying, therefore? Well, he's saying what he previously said. I would argue that it's probably verses 5 through 18. And I'm not going to read it, but I just want to go through a few things that were mentioned, particularly in this verse. That way we get the weight of what he's about to say about Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, Here were a few things. One, he said that everything is in subjection under Jesus and everything is under his control. He said that Jesus has tasted death for everyone. He said that Jesus, uh, or I guess everything exists by Jesus and for Jesus, He said that Jesus calls us brothers. He said that Jesus has destroyed the devil who had the power of death. He says that Jesus delivers us from the lifelong fear of death that we used to be captive to but no longer are captive to because of him. He says that Jesus is a merciful and faithful high priest. He makes propitiation for the sins of his people. And... He has experienced every weakness and temptation so that he can sympathize with our weaknesses and our temptations. And there's there's a few more things in there. But those are the those are the highlights. So in light of all these things he's saying about Jesus Christ, he says, Therefore, my brothers, <coughs> consider Jesus. Who we share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. So um, I love this. He calls us holy brothers. Now, if you're a woman in here, you are not necessarily excluded from this. Okay, this is but this could be Use as brothers and sisters, but this is nonetheless, this is who we are, right? We are part of the family of God. We are those who believe. So we see that the writer of Hebrews here is talking to the saints. He's calling them holy brothers, holy sisters, part of the holy family of God. So he is talking to those who profess to be Christians. He's saying that we've shared in a heavenly calling. In Jesus Christ. We are partakers of that same calling, right? Which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been called to be a part of the people of God. He has called us into Himself, into His family, and we share in this great calling together. And so He's, he's talking to the believers, say, Look, because of all of these things, look, listen, holy brothers, uh, we share in this calling. I want you to consider who Jesus is. And that line, consider Jesus, is going to come up over and over again as we talk together today. But this is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to do. He's trying to convince us <clears throat> throughout the entire book to consider Jesus Christ. This is what we're doing with this series in Advent. We want this season as we celebrate the Christmas story, as we celebrate our God and His plan of redemption and Him coming to rescue us, coming in the form of human flesh, we are considering Jesus. This is what we're doing every single Sunday. We're considering who Christ is. He's worthy, right? And so... I would say to us in here, brothers and sisters, holy, with the same heavenly calling in the Lord, I would encourage us to consider Jesus. Are you suffering? Consider Jesus. He suffered too for your sake. Are you doubting? Consider Jesus, who has run the race before us with endurance and joy. Are you tempted to sin? Consider Jesus, who endured every temptation known to man yet was without sin Perfectly, And also has released us from the bondage of sin, which led to our death. Are you afraid of death? Consider Jesus, who broke that lifelong fear. And I could name a lot more things. The point is, we could go on and on, but um, the, off, the author of Hebrews is wanting us to consider our Lord this morning. He is worthy of more glory than Moses, as we read. He is greater than Moses. Moses was a shadow. Jesus is the substance. So, we got to ask the question. i got some points here I want to get to. There's kind of three ways that, that I think the writer of Hebrews is going to kind of show us how Jesus is superior to Moses and what that means for us. But I, I do want to just emphasize the point that uh, this text is not here to shame Moses. Okay, It's not here to put Moses down, but we've got to understand that to the, the Jewish person, Moses was held in very high esteem. Right? He, he was like not really paralleled, pretty much compared to anyone. Moses was, uh, and we'll talk about some of the things he did and why this was the case, but he was held in great honor, great esteem, great glory. Moses was to be praised for how he was faithful in all of God's house and all of these things he did. And so uh, the writer of Hebrews is not trying to shame Moses and put him down, but he's trying to exalt the Lord Christ. Right, He's trying to say, if you think Moses was worthy of such honor and glory, then consider Jesus, who is worth infinitely more, right, of our honor and our glory. So he's lifting Christ up, and he's showing that Christ is superior in the way in which he fills this office that Moses held in a temporary way when he was on earth. And so there are three major ways that that I think he points us out in the text, and the first is that uh, Christ is superior to Moses in his authority. So Christ has superior authority compared to Moses and Moses did have authority we like I said we spent a lot of time in Exodus so I'm not going to quite go there often but I will mention things okay and so the first line here in verse one when he says consider Jesus he says that Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession now this is the only time throughout all of the scriptures that at least I'm aware of that Jesus is called an apostle Now, when you think of apostle, you probably think of the 12 apostles. You think of the kind of people that follow Jesus. Uh, This word at its most basic meaning just means sent one, right? Or one sent from God. That's what apostle means. And so I think... What he's emphasizing right here is at that basic level that Jesus was the one sent from God. And Jesus talked about this over and over again. Uh, John 17, John 15, you can go anywhere pretty much in the Gospels. And Jesus is talking about himself being sent from God to do his Father's will. He says, I don't seek my own glory, but I seek the glory of him who sent me. Right? This is Jesus Christ. Now, in him saying and calling Jesus an apostle, he is making a direct connection to Moses. Moses was also sent from God, right? He was the one sent from God uh, to redeem God's people, right? Out of bondage, out of the land of Egypt, and to lead them throughout the wilderness into a land flowing with milk and honey, right? This was Moses' calling. And in the same way Moses was sent from God, Jesus also was sent uh, by the Father to do the work that he did on earth, right? Of redeeming us and delivering his people. So it's a clear comparison to Moses. Um and, and there's one thing I want to note too is that uh one way in which Christ's authority becomes superior. Okay, so Moses was sent, and we're going to talk about in just a moment in the next point here of some things that Moses kind of had authority over, right, and that was doing. But Moses was sent simply as 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 the sent one, right? He was not the high priest. It took Moses and then it took Aaron Right? And it took some other kind of key figures that were kind of all helping lead the people together. But Jesus is different and set apart in his authority because he is both the sent one to lead the people and redeem the people, and he is also the high priest that was going to mediate uh, in the sacrificial system. Right, It was going to mediate between uh, God and man for the sins of the people. Christ takes on both of those offices at one time, making him and his authority uh, superior to the authority of Moses. So... It calls him a high priest. I think I think the writer of Hebrews is also setting up because he's about to talk about Aaron in a few uh, chapters here, kind of setting that up how Christ is also the better Aaron, and we could, you know, be the better a lot of things of Christ. But Jesus is the high priest. He operates as the mediator between us and God. Not only is he the sacrificial lamb that was slain for sins, but he is also the one standing in the gap that uh, we might be covered in the blood and considered. Righteous, he cleanses us with his righteous blood, as Peter calls it in chapter one of First Peter. Uh, that blood, like a lamb without spot or blemish, that is Jesus Christ. He is righteous, so he is a much better high priest. He is a much better sent one, a much better apostle, and of our confession, our faith, our belief, Jesus is both. Has the authority of both the apostle and the high priest. It's all under Jesus' authority, and this is a great thing for us. So Christ is superior in authority. He takes on the office of both the apostle and the high priest, which Moses couldn't do, and in that way, uh, Christ is shown to be supreme. He's shown to be superior. He's shown to be the one in authority over us. So we continue into verse 2. Let's read verses 2 through 4 together so he is the apostle and high priest of our confession who was faithful to him who appointed him just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself for every house is built by someone but the builder of all things is God so my second point here is that Christ is not only superior to Moses in his authority but he's also superior to Moses in his glory that's so what we get in this text here. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about what that means, I think, is because kind of what he extrapolates here. But we got to ask the question, Well, why is Jesus worthy of more glory? Now, maybe an obvious answer, and we'll go through this, would be, well, because Jesus is God, right? That, that would mean that he has much more glory, infinitely more glory. Well, the only glory we have is in the reflection of our God, right? It's an obvious answer and a good answer. Um, but there's a few things here that maybe um, would be helpful to kind of go over. Because remember, we did talk about how Moses is... Uh, worthy of glory, right? There was an actual honor and glory that he's worthy of in a real sense to the people of God as he did all of these things that he does, which we'll get to in just a second. But I love the fact, and this kind of separates it, because he says, you know, just as much as the builder of a house has more glory than the house itself, right? So the person that actually thought of it in their mind actually put their hands to work to build the house well they're the glorious one I mean this is an important lesson for us right they're more glorious than the house think about the most breathtaking architecture you've ever seen maybe the you know Sistine Chapel or maybe you know maybe there's lots of things right Uh, all these cathedrals beautiful houses uh, whatever it may be Um, think about the the greatest piece of art you've ever beheld in your life now I'm not much of a guy that goes and looks at paintings and think man that's gorgeous I look at most paintings and think, I feel like a 10-year-old could have done that, you know? Unless it's like a, like a landscape thing, then, then I'm like really impressed, you know, like something that looks realistic. But that's beside the point. Uh, the point is, you look at something, it's breathtaking, it's beautiful, it's awesome, you're in awe, it's amazing. The glory and the honor can't just stop at the thing itself, right? Because that is glorious, yes, those things are amazing, they are beautiful. But how much more amazing and beautiful and great should be the person that invented that thing in the first place, was able to put their hands to the work and do it. They are worthy of double honor than the actual painting or architecture or whatever you have beheld, right? It's it's an easy principle to get, and it's important. And so what he's saying is, look, there's a house that's being built. Moses was a part of that. He was a servant. He was kind of a part of the house taking place in a small way in the corner. But Christ himself is... The builder of the house, right? He is the one who has laid the foundation, who has built all of it up together, who has made it so amazing. Without Moses, there's no way he could have any, or sorry, without God, there's no way that Moses could have any glory or honor, right? Jesus is superior in his glory. Now let's talk about two things. Let's talk about one. Let's talk about the glory of Moses and the work that he accomplished. We're going to do a little comparison here. Moses and Jesus. So let's take the life of Moses and the office he fulfilled and then how Jesus does that. And we hopefully can see the comparison of glory. Now, it says something amazing here about Moses. Okay, now, we know Moses sinned. Okay, We have snapshots. We went through that in the book of Exodus. Moses was, was no uh, perfect person, right? But it does say, that Moses was faithful in all of God's house. That's an amazing line about a human being. Moses definitely had a special calling, right? And he was faithful to it in all of God's house. Numbers, uh, this is a quote from Numbers 12. We're going to read that together real quick in verse 6 and 8. It says, and he said, and this is actually what happened basically, is Moses married someone that was a, a, a Cushite, and uh, there Miriam and Aaron were like, wait a second, I think we kind of have some authority too. That was wrong that you did that, and God's not necessarily going to address the marriage portion, but he basically says, hey, uh, why don't you three come up here, and I want to speak to you. And then uh, God basically lets Miriam and Aaron have it. He says this, and he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So God distinguishes Moses in a very special way here. He says, he is faithful in all my house, to all the other prophets. I use dreams, I use kind of roundabout ways to speak to them, but Moses, I speak mouth to mouth clearly. There's no, there's no mincing words here, right? It was so much so that Moses got to see the backside of God and came down glowing from the mountain, right? Moses was, in a very special way, was faithful in God's house. Now, what work did Moses do as the great prophet, the role he played, the sent one from God? What roles did he play, and what did he steward in the house of God? I got a few things. One, Moses was, in a real sense, uh, a conduit for these things, okay? Moses was not the thing themselves, but God was Uh, doing these actions. But he did it through Moses. So God uses Moses as a redeemer. That's the first one, right? Uh, We know the story of Exodus. We went through it. Uh, And if you weren't here for that sermon series, it's probably pretty familiar to you. Um, But God used Moses to deliver God's people out of slavery and bondage in Egypt, right? They were dying. They were oppressed. They were crying out to God. God heard their cries and said, I'm going to raise up my servant Moses, who at that time was a murderer, He sent him into the wilderness for 40 years to kind of learn from God and to be hardened and ready for battle. And God sends him into Egypt, though he is terrified and probably unworthy to be the redeemer. God sends him in and uses him to redeem his people. God uses Moses and the staff to do many mighty works over the Egyptians and to show that he is the supreme God over all of the land. And then he uses Moses to corral them, get them out of Egypt and heading towards the promised land that he promised them. God also uses Moses as a conduit to give the law. So in in a sense, Moses is the one that gives the law. Obviously, it's God giving the law, but Moses gives the law to the people, right? He's the author of the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. He is uh, the one who brought the commandments down. He did smash them because of the whole golden calf situation, but he did go back up on the mountain. He got them again, and he brought down, and he established the law in Israel in the wilderness with the people of God, right? Not only everything with the tabernacle, but everything with the actual law of God, not just the Ten Commandments, but the civil law and all of these things that they were going to have to obey in and listen to the voice of God. Moses is used for that. This is a big deal, right? Moses is used in really founding the people of God and their practices and their ways. And then thirdly, God uses Moses in a real way as the leader and shepherd of his people, right? Moses not only just leads them out of Egypt into the wilderness, but then he leads them through the wilderness, up right to the point of the promised land. Because of disobedience, he wasn't allowed in, but God let him see it before he killed him, right? It says Moses was 120 and still strong and ready to go, uh, and God took him away because of his disobedience. But nonetheless, he led them. I mean, he was leading and shepherded so much that all of Israel was coming to him, and when his father-in-law saw it, Remember, he was like, this is impossible. You're going to die. You can't do this by yourself. You've got to raise up other people to help you do this. But he was the leader. And for better or worse, sometimes they really hated him, and sometimes they really loved him. But nonetheless, he was leading and shepherding and pastoring the people Uh, throughout their rebellion and idolatry in the wilderness, right? Moses over and over again was kind of exacting justice and was also giving rescue and trying to teach them and shepherd them and so on and so on. So these are some major things that Moses did. There's more that we can make an argument for, but I kind of want to just stick with those kind of three overarching points. And if you've been paying attention, you probably can think, wow, Jesus is also these things, and we're going to talk about that, okay? So that's the glory of Moses. That's the work of Moses that he did when he's saying that, look, Moses was part of this kind of part of the house, was in there being a servant in the house, but but Jesus was 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 the builder. So let's look at the glory of Jesus and the work that he accomplished. Um, so just like Moses was faithful in all of God's house, Jesus is faithful in all of God's house, and Jesus even built the house, right? He's both a faithful Uh, person in the house, and he also built the house. Jesus isn't just a worker in the house, but he builds the house himself. He's the son of the house, the authority in the house. Jesus, once again, is the substance, not just a shadow. This is so important for us to remember. Well, let's talk about it. Well, Jesus is the better redeemer, right? He's the true and better redeemer. Moses played a great role and was faithful, but Jesus is obviously the true and better redeemer. How? Well, Jesus delivered his people from the slavery of sin and death. So Moses delivers them from a temporary slavery, although they went back into slavery because of disobedience. But Jesus, in the gospel, through being the sacrificial lamb and the high priest and the sent one, he delivers his people for all eternity. He gives us eternal life and permanently rescues us from the bondage and uh, corruption of sin. Jesus suffered and died on the cross so that we would have eternal life and inherit the true and better promised land that never fades away and is ours. We learn in 1 Peter that is being guarded by the lord jesus until the day that we obtain it right um so jesus in every way is the true and better redeemer he he becomes the fulfillment of all of these things it was god's plan from the foundations of the world and we see it in christ fulfilled and in that we say yes and amen i I thank god that moses is not my redeemer he was a good temporary substitute but he is not the real thing if Moses is the redeemer, I die in the wilderness with a hard heart. But if Jesus is the redeemer, I live rather with him. Not because I don't have a hard heart from time to time, but because he doesn't and he has made a way for me. This is a good thing. Jesus is also the better lawgiver. He's the true and better lawgiver. Now, to be clear, Jesus doesn't give a new law, okay? He's not coming in and saying, "You know what? Forget that one. Let's start over." Okay? It's not what Jesus does. There are are theological paths that believe that, but no, Jesus says, look, I didn't come to not not one little bit, right? Not one dot, not one iota is going to pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus is the better law giver because one, he comes and clarifies some things of the law that were always true, but we didn't understand. And two, more importantly, because Jesus fulfills all of the law. He doesn't just give the law and say, you got to obey, right? You got to obey. And if you don't, there's consequences now we still got to obey and if we don't there are consequences but Jesus says look I'm coming because you can't obey I'm going to fulfill the law for you and in your place I'm not only giving the law but I'm fulfilling it perfectly that once again my blood might be like a lamb without spot or blemish and when it's sprinkled on you like the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat you will live forever he's the law giver and fulfiller and then thirdly Jesus is also the true and better leader and shepherd of God's people right So as Moses played that role to a degree and in a faithful way for his time and place and position as a man, Jesus, as the God-man, is the great provider in the wilderness. He's the great leader and shepherd of his people. Look, many of the people, most of the people that Moses led in the wilderness, what happened to them? If you read on in Hebrews 3, they did not enter God's rest. They couldn't, right? They hardened their hearts, they worshipped false gods, and they weren't allowed in. Only the second generation of people were allowed and Caleb and Joshua led the new generation into the promised land. But for Mo- all of Moses' shepherding, they did not enter into God's rest. But this is not so with Jesus Christ, amen? It is a much different thing as he shepherds his people. Jesus has not lost any of his people and will not lose any of his people. Let's look at John 17, starting in verse one together. This is the high priestly prayer. Jesus says this, When Jesus had spoken these words, For they are yours, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. A few more lines here. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. See, Jesus is the true and better Moses in that he is faithful to shepherd his people and he will guard them and they will be guarded until the end now it doesn't mean that everyone that calls themselves a christian will be a christian forever but it does mean all that have been rescued by the precious blood of jesus christ will not fall away but they will be redeemed and guarded and rescued until the day that we meet in the kingdom once again uh Moses was a great shadow for the people of God for the time and season, but Jesus is the true and better Moses. He is the substance of all things. So Christ is superior uh, both in his uh, authority and his glory. And then now, verse 5 and 6, we're going to see that Christ is also superior in his being. He's just superior. We could just say all-encompassing, if you will. But uh, here's what it says in verse 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later... But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So Moses was faithful as a servant, or as we see that we're all part of God's house. So Moses was kind of a part of the house. Maybe look at him as like a vacuum, you know? Kinda, that's kinda not necessarily a part of the house, but you get what I'm saying, okay? Um, he was a part of the house and was a faithful servant in God's house, right? But he was merely a servant. It's the juxtaposition of being here. Moses was the servant in the house and a part of the house, and Jesus is the son in the house with the authority of the house who built the house from the ground up, made all the plans, did all the building. It's all Jesus. He's the one building his people, right, and has been since the foundations of the world. So it says that Moses was testifying to what was to come later. Now I want to read Deuteronomy 18, uh, verses 15 to 19 which kind of captures this idea it says this this is Moses talking he says the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you from your brothers it is to him you shall listen just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die and the Lord said um To me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up from them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Right? This is Moses speaking of what was to come, a better, more true fulfillment. Right? He said there's going to be a prophet just like me. It's going to be raised up, and you cried out. You didn't want to hear... Uh, God's voice thundering from the mountain. You didn't want to see the fire and the cloud come down. It was terrifying for you. You buried your heads in the sand. You were so worried. And God says, yeah, they're right. I'm going to send someone. It is going to be his voice, right? He's going to say what all the Father asked him to say, uh, but it is going to be Christ, uh, the God-man. And so uh, Moses has the role of a servant and played that well, but Jesus is far superior because he plays the role of the Son of God. Christ is faithful as a son in God's house. So Christ is the son of the house, right? He's the builder. He is God in the flesh. He is infinitely superior uh, in his being because he is the God-man, not merely man, like Moses. He commands all authority over the house, which is the church, and really all authority over the entire cosmos. It's all his. And we rejoice in this, that he's the son. He is the one that's over the house. This is a great joy for us. Why? Because we just read right there that we are his house, right? We're a part of God's house. We get to play uh, a, a role in this, and it's awesome. Um, but we are a part of God's house, okay? This is an important line, and we're, we're, we're kind of we're getting somewhere here. But um, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones and are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, acceptable." to God through Jesus Christ, right? So we are a part of this house. So what we get here, and when we're talking about you know, uh, Jesus' superiorness being, he is the builder of the house and all of us, like stones, are being kind of built together to be this house of God. You're a member of the household of God and Jesus is the one that has authority. Moses is a part of that house, right? He, he played a significant role, probably one more significant, let's just say in the grand scheme of things, than you or I will play. Not that you're insignificant. In the ordinary, everyday things, you are very significant in the glory of God. Uh, but Moses, we could say, probably played a pretty significant role. But Christ plays the ultimate role. The house exists because of him, right? And I know I'm emphasizing the same things. They bleed together over and over again, but it's so important for us. Now, he's got this last line that I just want to want to hit on briefly. He says, and we are his house if indeed, right, so there's a caveat here, uh, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Now, what he's not saying here, and I hope this brings you comfort today, is he's not saying if you have just enough strength in those hands, okay, those frail hands of yours to hold on to the curtails of Jesus robe uh, you will get into the kingdom that's not what he's saying okay that would not be a good promise cuz i don't know about you but i've gotten frailer in my 30s okay i don't think i have the ability to hold on right i don't like my hardness of heart my uh, i just don't have the the being right to do it i don't have the strength to do it he's not saying well you get to be a part of this thing if you could just do it right no he's saying that if You end up doing right, well, you're a part of it, and it's a great thing, right? This is who we are as believers, who are part of the household of God, those who hold firm all the way to the end the confidence and the boast in Jesus Christ and the gospel and his authority, his glory, his fulfillment, him being the true and better redeemer. You hold on to that redemption, and you're part of the household of God. So I got a few encouragements for us this morning that I think the writer of Hebrews is really trying to hit in this, and this goes into other texts. But we talked at the beginning, we talked about considering Jesus this morning. We want to consider Jesus. As we celebrate Christmas, we want to consider who Christ is for us. And I've got two ways I want to do that. One, we really kind of two, I guess kind of um, commands for us in the book of Hebrews. When we are considering Jesus, there's two commands I want us to, to hear. One is what's following in chapter 3 in verses 7 through 18, and really into chapter 4, right? He's going to make an argument, okay? He's going to say, look, Moses had this glory and honor. He did these things for God's people, and what happened to them is that they did not reach out in faith to God, right? There, there wasn't this faith, but rather their hearts became hardened, and they were led astray into destruction and death by the deceitfulness of sin. And so what the writer of Hebrews is doing here in this text, he continues into verses 7-18, through 18, and in chapter 4, as he's saying, now you, you're the recipient of a better covenant, a better Moses, a better redeemer, a better leader, a better shepherd. So therefore, as long as it's called today, do not harden your hearts like they did in the rebellion. Remember, he's talking to believers here, right? He's not hes not talking to unbelievers. He's saying to believers, look, in the, in the same way you profess Christ, in the same way they received and were believers, if you will, and, and ended up dying in the wilderness because of their hardness of heart. He says, you don't be like them. Consider <laughs> Christ. Look to him. Hold fast your confidence to the end. Look to Jesus and do not let your hearts be hardened. It's one of the most uh, glorious and maybe fearful, depending on who you are, um, Text in all the Bible that as long as it's called today, look, use prudence. We're not guaranteed tomorrow, but you're alive right now, aren't you? You are alive in the flesh right now. Um, As long as it's called today, as long as it's right now, don't harden your hearts like they did in the rebellion. (laughs) Come to Christ, receive Him, consider Him, look to Him. He is amazing. And so, my first uh, command from Hebrews, encouragement from Hebrews, is don't harden your hearts like the people of God did under Moses, but you now have a far more glorious. Uh, far greater, far superior, far more supreme, leader, ruler, builder of the house. Don't harden your heart, but come to him. He is a ready redeemer to forgive his people, to shower his people with the blessing of forgiveness, hope, joy, peace, comfort, patience. He is a faithful high priest over the house of God. He is sympathetic. He has known human weakness yet without sin so that he could sympathize with you in your weakness and in your hardness of heart and in your rebellion. And so come to him. And then lastly, uh, in a very famous text, if you were at the women's uh, retreat this uh, couple months ago, I think you guys went over this as your text uh, for the weekend. Uh, but, you know, as he kind of continues to make all these arguments about Jesus being better, he gets to chapter 12. And really, this is just another way of con- saying consider Jesus, but he's going to tell us to look to Jesus. And he says this in verses uh, <coughs> 3, um. Actually, no, sorry, verses 1 through 2, I guess he says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about chapter 11, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God this is one of the greatest encouragements in all the scripture look we got a great cloud of witnesses that did this thing already okay that's what Hebrews 11 is about and they've ran the race they fought hard they weren't perfect they were pretty crazy men actually if you look at some of them especially the guys in the book of judges uh they were not great but they were faithful to god and in the same way we got such a great cloud of witnesses let us do the same thing look lay aside all the weight and the sin which so easily entangles you and clings so closely to you and 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 run run look to jesus he is the founder which means he started it and he is the perfecter which means he will finish it of our faith So we look to Jesus. He's the example. The joy that he had in the midst of suffering, right? The the aim he had to redeem his people for the glory of his name. Let us do the same thing. So as we consider that this Advent season, that Jesus is superior to Moses. He's a true and better Moses. May we not harden our hearts, but look to Jesus this morning. Look to Jesus. If you find yourself weary from giving in to the temptation to sin. Look to Christ. There's no other place that you might be delivered and you might run the race. Quit looking at your feet, right? Look up. Look at Jesus Christ. If you try looking at your feet while you're running, you're going to fall over, right? Don't don't look at your feet. I know there's lots of hardship, lots of suffering, lots of pain, lots of sin, and most of it's probably because of you and your hardness of heart and your sin. But we got to look to him, look up, just look to Christ. There's that famous Isaiah chapter, look to God, look to him and be you saved. I love that line, it's so good. Just look to Jesus, that's all we have to do is look to him. Look at him, look at him, look at him. Consider Jesus this morning. So before we take in the Lord's Supper, I'd like to pray for us as we celebrate together um, that Christ has redeemed us. So if you would bow your heads, let's pray together and then we'll take communion and worship through song. Father, thank you so much once again for your word. God, we all sit here right now in this room with a clear understanding that we are not worthy to be called children of God, but so we are. We are called your children, holy brothers and sisters, as you, Jesus, are our elder brother who has run this race already, and you did it perfectly, Because we never could. So that way as you redeem us and you died and you spilt your precious blood. That we might be recipients of that blood and be redeemed forever. God, do not let our hearts be hard this morning. I hate when my heart is hard, Jesus, and I don't have the strength to look. Would you give all of us, by the power of your spirit, the strength to look this morning at who you are to look you in the face, face to face, like Moses looked at you, oh God. May we hear from you this morning. May we consider, oh Father, your son Jesus Christ, who's the better Moses, the better redeemer, the better lawgiver and fulfiller, the better shepherd and leader of our souls. We look forward to a promised land, to a building whose designer and builder is God. We look forward to that, just like Moses did. Moses did not count the pleasures of Egypt to be had, but he looked for a better city, an abiding one, just like Abraham did as well. God, we look to you right now. We pray as we take of the Lord's Supper, your Supper, as we worship you in spirit and in truth. Would you fill us with your joy right now? We pray in Jesus' name.